0: All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the Spiral Marketing Podcast, and we are now in our... we're past our third year of podcasts here. And with the new year, we're doing things a little bit differently. And uh, to keep things lively, we're making things a little less formulaic and having a little bit more fun. Uh, not that we weren't having fun before, right? But I'm going to try to do less reading to you and we're going to continue to have diverse guests. So uh, with that said, today's guest is Sean Masavich. He is the CEO and founder of Edge Tech Labs and he and I actually met at the WeWork in Crystal City, where we both have offices, at least for the time being. We met around the water cooler, so to speak. We had a few things in common both entrepreneurs, of course, both into music and. He happens to have a very cool product in the startup realm. The product is in the music industry, actually. I'll let him tell you much more about it, but it's very cool. And what I found compelling for you, dear listeners, is that he had an interesting take on marketing, like many successful entrepreneurs and particularly successful entrepreneurs in the startup space where it seemed to me that he thinks of community engagement and search engine optimization and digital marketing a little bit differently. So I thought that that would be fun for you all and valuable. So with that, let's get started.
1: What is the DNA of business marketing? How do we market ourselves now and in the future? Brand communications is evolving. Are you... Let's explore together. Spiral Upwards. This is Spiral Marketing.
0: Sean, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you heard my intro there. First, I'm kind of curious, do you agree with my take that you look at things a little bit differently from the digital marketing space as a tech startup entrepreneur?
1: Uh, Totally. I've talked with dozens of marketing firms now, and it's always a fascinating conversation because we know a lot about marketing. There's a lot we don't know. But the key here is that a lot of traditional marketing isn't very effective for what we're trying to do. Um, The quick example that I'm sure we'll delve into is that we don't really have competition for our market. So we're trying to get the word out in a way that is Kind of a lot different from traditional marketing where you're trying to beat out all the noise. We're Mm -hmm. actually trying to create our own noise. And it's surprising how many firms we talk to and agencies and individuals have never experienced that before.
0: That's interesting. It's kind of a good problem to have in a way, right? Not having competition, but then the challenge there is that you're having to generate your own
1: demand. Totally agree. It's, um, <laughs> it's about education, trying to actually teach uh, people about our product that it's even possible. So it's it's interesting, to say the least.
0: That is. That's a good word. Could you kind of encapsulate your attitude and philosophy towards digital marketing? I'm sure you have marketing team members and maybe even agencies. How do you wrap their heads around it?
1: So we're performance-based. I like having indicators of how well something is doing and it's not just forgive my lack of knowing actual terms for the industry but just a blast style marketing where like a Pepsi or a Coke might just do general advertising taking advantage of the the well-known statistic that it takes like 8 views of something marketing related for a person to actually buy the product we're targeting very specific people and it's always a challenge to convince people we're working with about how we actually get our product in front of those very specific users. And so that's that's our challenge with digital marketing. I mean, we we do traditional means that are like Facebook, all, all the standard ones, but it's a continuing challenge to see what's actually effective and what is just, there's a lot of things now that are actually, that people don't pay attention to. It's just noise to them. And we're not really fooled by that anymore. And we're trying to find what actually breaks through that white noise.
0: Interesting. Do you have a good example of what you're seeing that people aren't fooled of as an example of something you're maybe you've been getting pitched to do?
1: So, I mean, of course it's ads, it's Mm -hmm. ad spend, spending a lot of money, looking at the conversion rate. Our product is interesting that I know a lot of people are seeing it. The ads are effective. But they're doing their own Googling. And so when somebody does that, when they see it and then they just go somewhere else and Google it, you can't track it. I mean, you can if they like directly go from the ad to Google. But most of the time they're not. It's a different tab. It's a different computer. It's a different time. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know how these people are finding you. And for us, all our products are crowdfunded. So it's super global. I mean, our first shipment went out to over 40 countries. And so we'll get an order uh, today was from the UAE. And I have no idea why or how they found out about us. But lo and behold, they just placed an order. And then there's Switzerland and Germany. We'll get groups of like five orders and they'll be from four different countries. And it's just like, what the heck is going on? What What is so effective at this exact point in time? And it's, it's a super big challenge to even get out... Get a hold of our data and figure out what is going on or if it's truly random. Amazing. So, yeah. It's interesting.
0: Love that. Well, let's give people some context. I think that you're by far and away better suited to talk about your product than I. So first let's talk a little bit about what your current product is.
1: So we're currently focusing on fret zealot. And fret zealot is an LED accessory for your guitar. It displays any color LED. You can slap it on any full-size guitar, and it shows you where to put your fingers, kind of like a, a real-life Guitar Hero. It um, shows you where to put your fingers to play chords, notes, scales, songs, and it's all controlled through an app, either Android or iOS, so it's kind of future-proofed in that regard. We can add features. We just added a cool video lessons integration where you pull up these um, basically YouTube videos, and as the instructor is going through their video, it displays what they're talking about right on the neck of your guitar. So you can constantly, you know where your fingers are going and you can actually listen to the video with the intent of the instructor, which is teaching the technique, the shape of your hand, and you're paying attention to it because you know that your fingers are in the right location to begin with. So it's a very high-tech product. It's been very challenging to manufacture. But it's um, it's a it's a two hundred dollar product, so high end, kind of a, a definitely a, something somebody would consider a lot before purchasing. Which again goes into the marketing aspect of it. It's not just an impulse purchase, and we've had a lot of success so far. So we know there's a tremendous demand for this. About- That's
0: great. Well, I'm looking at one right now. It's sitting here in the studio, and. I can tell you, uh, having owned many guitars and being a very mediocre guitarist, <laughs> that having this could save you a lot of time. Um, $200 is just four guitar lessons. Right?
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> so, definitely our value proposition.
0: <laughs> makes sense. Well, that's very cool. And high-tech, absolutely. I'm just assuming most people will actually install this themselves?
1: Yep. It's... Okay. um. It can seem intimidating to install, but it's really just double-sided tape on the back of this LED strip and you just either loosen or remove the top portion of your strings and put it right down. It sticks to it and then you tighten everything up and it just, it's right there on your guitar neck. doesn't interfere with anything. It's lower in height than your frets.
0: Nice. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your background. How did your background lead you into this startup world and where you are right now?
1: This is a bit of an interesting story, but I think it's a story that resonates with a lot of people trying to do the same thing. I graduated from uh, the University of Virginia. I was an engineer, mechanical engineer, actually. Mm. And I went right into defense contracting. We're in Washington, D.C., that's just the number one profession for any engineer in this area.
0: It's definitely where the money is. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. I was like, I'm going to change the world. I've got so many ideas. I've always been an idea person. And uh, after about three years of that, I realized, nope, this is just (laughs) not going to happen. I'm going to have to sit here and there's a distinct career path and you have to put in the time, the hours and it. I just was not willing to do it. So at the same time I was developing products on the side, just, hobby level, seeing what worked. And we actually, well, not we at that point, it was just me came up with a product. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try and crowdfund this. So I actually put it on Kickstarter while working full time. And uh, that was a very stressful month. But <laughs> that first product actually hit almost $100,000 in one month. And just a month after it closed, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take the plunge. And that is something I had to do. I did not have a big runway. So I literally quit my job and was like, I need to figure out something within a few months or else I'm, I'm screwed here. But right. um, the key here is that crowdfunding was my exit point. That's what allowed me to go from traditional engineering job to entrepreneur without having to prove myself in some other regard because no no VC was going to fund me. Nobody was going to invest in me. I had to find a definitive way to prove myself. And that's what crowdfunding allowed.
0: Interesting. What, when was that around?
1: That was December of 2014.
0: Okay. All right. Here we are in early 2018. Has that ecosystem changed much?
1: It definitely has. Um, We've now done three different crowdfunding campaigns uh, we're probably going to do another one in about a month, which will be interesting just
0: for, for all for Fred Zelet,
1: yeah, actually for the bass bass guitar uh, version okay and um when I f- did the first campaign, news organizations would pick up on us and be very excited and report on us. I know TechCrunch picked up immediately and reported on us, even though there were similar things that had come out. this was for our our drinkmate product—it's actually a, a miniature smartphone breathalyzer, so something oh, completely wow. different from this. Okay, and uh that was amazing. And so we did a second campaign. Nobody picked up on us at, at all. And finally, I got some answers, and they had been starting around 2000, end of 2015, 2016. News agencies had been burned so bad by startups failing at Kickstarter and just going MIA. That they just said we're not reporting on any crowdfunding campaigns. Excuse me. So you'll yeah you'll see random reports of it, but nothing like what it used to be. It used to be kind of like a CES every day, consumer electronics show. Just like here's the latest crowdfunding campaigns, get excited, and now it's just nothing. And it's because I would bet it's probably ninety percent of campaigns just fail horribly. Wow, yeah.
0: it's interesting. Uh- so, adding context to that is I had a loyal listeners may know we had a crowdfunding expert on, Brandon Adams, and that was right around 2016 or so. And I know you listened to that episode. This was after our initial conversation. You listened to that episode and you said, wow, you know things are a little bit different. So you you had a different take on it. And that was one of the impetuses to bring you on and say, well, let's hear
1: about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's definitely different now. It's focused more on, you have to bypass the news agencies actually. So for us, getting right into it, we did Reddit promotion. Mm -hmm. So we found people who really knew Reddit and what subreddits to post on what you needed for that and then had them them post and then we would try to promote it and find people to comment. We would engage with people. And we actually did that twice and went uh, to the front page of Reddit twice during our Kickstarter campaign. Outstanding. That was pretty amazing. It's a
0: gigantic marketplace. Well, I don't know if market, community. It's a gigantic community. Okay. Well, uh, what does community engagement look like for you right now for Fretz
1: It's very interesting and it's actually been challenging as of late. So we've now shipped a few thousand Mm -hmm. and it's gone all over the world. And I remember sitting in my office just the other day, I was thinking, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of down right now. Like I'm not seeing much positive news about this and I'm just like, I want some feedback. Mm -hmm. And so I was going through our customer support tickets and people were very happy with it. But what we were finding is that when just, I don't know what the, percentage would be but most people who get a product they're happy with it and they don't say anything there's no feedback you have no reason to go back to the company and say you did an awesome job so or here's what i would like or or stuff like that so we're trying to figure out now how to actually engage with people and get that kind of feedback but one of the challenging things of a startup is you will get 90 percent negative feedback Mm. it doesn't matter what you make how you do it you will you will hear the negative and you've gotta realize that that's not the majority of your customers if if you know your product actually works and whatnot so it's it's very interesting, and we're going through that process now of learning what our community is like and what they want and so we have a few ways to interact with them. You can rate the songs in the app, but we are trying to create an actual um platform for people to upload their own music and comment on it and that has to be done very carefully, specifically, and and tested a lot. So the community for the music industry is quite uh close knit. People really it's actually very enjoyable. I was a little worried. I mean you hear about you know all of kind of the pop culture of the music world and you're like, it's crazy. It's dog eat dog, but it's actually Uh, quite wonderful on kind of the individual user level, just very dedicated people who are all trying to accomplish the same thing, which is create music or learn music. So it's once you look at it that way and try to empathize with your community, features can be planned out and you can actually ask them for input. And we've been doing that. And that's been amazing. We've uh, a lot of our scales have come from our users saying, what would you like? What would make it easier? I think on here right now, you can see that some of these lights are white, mm-hmm. and that's the root note of particular scales, and that helps people know where to start. And so we're we're talking with our community and helping build the product that they want because we can talk with them.
0: Beautiful. So it sounds like a lot of the community engagement is on the app. Is that correct or not necessarily?
1: It's actually not on the app right now. It's more through people emailing us. Okay. We're very big on customer service and, and communicating with people, I can't tell you how many times we've had somebody say, wow, I didn't actually expect a response or just say, this is the best customer service I've ever received. And, and I'm kind of like, really? Like Of all the companies <laughs> out there, we're the one you'll say that to? And it, it's it's good. It means that, I mean, it adds to the marketing of it. Say the person doesn't even buy our product. They'll say, they might tell a story someday about, oh, I wish every company had support like this one company I emailed one time, Fret Zealot, and then that name sticks in there. And it's just, it's important. So that's that's how we're engaging now. Facebook, Twitter, of course, social channels, we engage. Actually, Facebook is big. We get a lot of people messaging us and we have so many dedicated to monitoring that. And um, a little on Instagram, but mostly it's through email where we can write things out, add attachments and kind of show proof of what people have been talking to us about and and say like okay yeah your feature is going to be deployed in like eight weeks Mm -hmm. and it's like on our development schedule and it's very convenient
0: nice very nice what does your team look like at the moment if you don't mind me asking
1: our team is super global we have we actually have only four people here at the Crystal City location, or oh. just in
0: honestly in the U.S. It's a pretty big office. It's just filled with boxes. It's
1: got a <laughs> lot of boxes. It's, I think we've... Uh, so many guitars. but So we've got our management team here, and we've got a team of developers in India. We've got a manufacturing team in China. We have some customer service done out of the Philippines. It's really interesting because some people look at that and they say, oh, well, why don't you do that in the U.S.? And it, it's not a matter of... I mean, partially it's cost, but to be honest about it, it's quality. And um, I like saying in the Philippines, people go to school for customer service. Like we were kind of doing tests when we were finding people, and we would say, we received this message, and it's just horrifying. I mean, I've you get everything once you start selling a consumer product. We have glowing messages all the way to like at one point I got a death threat and I was like oh no like this is actually I think I need to report this (laughs) (laughs) right this is uh, a criminal issue (laughs) yeah exactly so uh we sent some of those messages along and we're like how would you respond and all of the people we were trying for in the U.S. just were fundamentally different than the Philippines in the Philippines it was like oh we don't take it personally this is just how people are and it was like wow you're Perfect. Hired.
0: <laughs> nice. Understood. I have to give kudos to the Philippines as well. I have a couple team members in the Philippines and they're just... Everybody's nice, but they are just go out of their way very happy and nice all the time. It's uh, So I appreciate the Filipino customer service ethic for sure. Okay. So... We talked a little bit about a community engagement and you're talking about what works. Email marketing has been working well for you. Have you found any other new media startup related marketing that works well that might translate to a good set of tips for listeners?
1: No, the caveat here is that we do physical products that people can look at. So for that, it's hands-on reviews it was surprisingly hard to get people to review our product. I'd reach out and say, hey, we want to send you this $200 product for free. And they'd say, well, I don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know. (laughs) Look at these shiny lights. And they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) But um, we did that, of course, with bigger news agencies. Uh, So far, we've gotten Digital Trends, Inc. Magazine, and uh, TechCrunch. And all of those required different things, which is interesting. So Inc. Magazine came up to us during CES, and they actually said they were a little hesitant because they didn't believe we could do what we said we could do, and we're like, okay, you go sit in that chair, and I'm going to teach you Smoke on the Water in like a minute, and lo and behold, he learned the first three chords and was playing it in, uh, in just a, like two minutes. It was amazing. Very cool. Um, digital Trends, I offered to fly out to their office, and I did, and those are always fun trips. They're very quick. I flew out in the morning and this was across the country, and I flew back in the evening. Oh, my God. <laughs> and um, TechCrunch, I just sent them a guitar with a fret salad installed and just kept following up with them, and it was kind of like, hey, you have a guitar of ours. Where is it? Where is it? And then they ended up reviewing it, which was, was pretty cool in that regard. But um, outside of those news agencies, YouTube reviews are really big. Even just customers getting a hold of it and showing it off, if you can – a recommendation would be ask your customers to review you on YouTube. Just talk about you. It adds to the noise, the marketing influence of your company, a very low-cost way to do this versus ads where you can shout ads all day. But if a person wasn't online when that ad was being served, then you're kind of SOL. Mm-hmm. But uh, on YouTube, it's always there. Now, that can, that can be good or bad. I mean, if somebody doesn't like your product, they can talk about it. But as long as you're honest and straightforward, you can always show the true side of your company, which is you're there for your customers and you will get very good things said about you and develop a reputation. So I would say YouTube's probably where I would go right from the start. I think that's actually what we'll do for our next Kickstarter campaign, just make a bunch of YouTube videos and have them ready to go so that when people search for you and they are searching on YouTube, that they find information that they're looking for. And it's quite varied what they're looking for, but it will be there if you have actual customers and people talking about it.
0: Excellent. It makes perfect sense that YouTube would pair well with your product because it's so visual. It's so visual. And as you said, performance related. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's do just a little bit of leadership profiling. So you've been running this company for how long?
1: I guess since 2014. So going on the fourth year here.
0: Okay, very good. And how do you stay
1: sharp as a leader? Oh man. <laughs> this changes daily. I get a few newsletters. Uh some are related to I get like two newsletters for kind of general industry stuff. Uh CB Insights and Termsheet. And that just helps me kind of follow trends and what's going on like if say something, I'm so heads down working on our product that it's you can, you, you can miss some pretty big things. So that helps me make sure that there's been no like government regulation that says <laughs> uh, bans LEDs or, you know, something right. weird like that. Uh, or recently, unfortunately, a major guitar company has been struggling financially. And I was like, wait, that company's considering bankruptcy? And I was like, that's that's huge for us. And I only found out through those newsletters. I follow, um, Seth Godin. I get his, uh, his daily email and that kind of helps me stay focused on like leadership abilities and capabilities. And then every day I kind of, one of the things I try to do is truly find the source of anxiety. So as a leader, you deal with a lot of stress, but it's usually because of something that isn't immediately clear. So One day, it was actually this week, I was feeling very stressed and I couldn't figure it out. And it was because I had a stack of like 10 samples sitting on my desk and it was eating at me. I wanted to send those samples to somebody. So I was like, you know what, looking up all the media sources that I haven't been sending them to and just going to do it. Sent them out, felt great. It's because I knew something was getting done. Like I was actually working towards the business development and uh, outreach of my company. And so it's, it took a lot of it's hard to like sit back and look at where your stresses are as a leader. Cause a lot of times you're thinking it's very superficial, like oh, somebody didn't get this to me. I need to do this. There's so much that's going on, but really it's just a, a simple thing that maybe that you haven't done as a leader or something you've been putting off versus your team. And so it's really interesting to look back on that.
0: I think many entrepreneurs, myself included can identify with that, that there's, there's random stresses that you don't always know how to identify, and it, sometimes you have to listen to your gut. Sometimes you have to introspect. That's one of the reasons why I think meditation is so popular among entrepreneurs, because both it helps you focus and get the stress down. Uh, that's interesting. Are there any other unorthodox training that you may have taken. One of the reasons that I'm asking that is because I know your background is as an engineer, as you said, and it's not like you went and got your MBA or um, even, it doesn't sound like you really studied business in school. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, pretty pure engineering there. Okay.
0: Yeah. And uh, so uh, do you feel like that has been an issue that you've had to work around? What have you done to work through
1: that? It is something that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to business, there are times where I have to sit back and think, okay, what's the correct business move here? And the biggest move of all, and a very hard one, was our first product we discontinued. It just wasn't viable from a business perspective. The um, the profit margins weren't there. We just simply couldn't run a company off of it at this point in time. And it might come back later, but at this point in time we couldn't. And when I made that decision, pretty much everybody around me w- would say but it's such a cool product why would you stop and i was like i can't even explain this to you it just sucks like, <laughs> it just it wasn't a viable business and usually that gets people to understand but it's just it's very difficult as a non-business school trained person to actually make these kinds of major business decisions with an objective mentality mm-hmm. so That's definitely on on the business side. On the personal side, again, engineering, we're pretty stereotypically uh, introverted. I'm actually very extroverted, but a lot are are introverted with their own projects, their own ideas, and I'm fascinated by psychology. And so when I'm building out the demographics for our customers, the use cases, our user profiles, I try to empathize with them and like truly put myself in their seat and like what are they struggling with? And it could be financial. It could be simply frustration and not being able to learn. But it it's, it's varies a lot from person to person. And it's pretty critical to be able to the, – well, the psychology of it is fascinating.
0: Beautiful. Empathy is so important in marketing. So uh, that's absolutely astute and appropriate. All right, continuing on the leadership trend, is there a mantra or philosophy you've adopted to stay focused as a leader?
1: It's a it's, heady question. <laughs> to me, it's been um I know it sounds it's always the simplest things, but it's uh just breathe. And um see now I just wanna breathe. Like I'm even now I'm just weirdly tensed up and just like tight in my core. But uh gotta breathe which could take the form of getting up and walking around. I know I was once so upset about something. I said, I'm going to go for a run and I'm just not going to stop until I'm like sane enough to sit down. And maybe you run until you're just exhausted and that's why. But it really just came down to breathing and making sure that you could stay calm and focused. And when you're calm and focused, you will make the right decision.
0: Good. Well, meditation's coming up as a theme, breathing. So, you have a rather futuristic product in a way. What do you expect the future to look like in the music industry, and how do you hope to be involved?
1: The music industry, in my opinion, is in a bit of turmoil right now. You've got, and it's not just guitars or fretted instruments, it's all instruments. They're kind of looked at well, everything but guitars is kind of looked at as antiques, Hmm. but they're really incredible. Pieces of art. And when you play them, you, it's difficult to describe, but let me say I started out playing clarinet Mm -hmm. and then tuba, and now I'm all about guitar. So, (laughs) literally, three different classes of instruments. (laughs) And it's fascinating to see how much the industry is struggling with marketing itself as a whole. There's nothing, if somebody comes out and says, like, oh, you play the clarinet, they will look at you as an uber nerd. Uh but then you can play music and hear it and it's just incredible to hear this the wooden sound of it and how it can portray be portrayed in modern music you know you've got rock music with like Jethro Tull who was playing a flute like there have been very successful instances of traditional instruments being used in modern music and the industry is struggling with that and we're trying to ride this wave right now and that in combination with most all large retail stores failing. Uh, it's been really interesting and it's going to come down to marketing, unfortunately. And I say, unfortunately, because it's just (laughs) not my forte and it's easy to kind of win marketing with a lot of money, which we don't have. So it's, it's very challenging for us and making us think outside the box. So the music industry is, uh, it's just a fascinating place right now and very interesting to watch to see what people do to bring back interest into it as a whole, because it is a very cumulative industry and the better one area does, the better all areas do.
0: Interesting. So believe it or not, we this is another thing you and I have in common because I started off in elementary school as a clarinetist as well. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Yeah. I think the clarinet is still in a closet somewhere with the corks rotting away. Yep. Well, that answer was unique. In talking about the future, you talked a little bit about the past and the present, and it sounds almost like there's so much change and turmoil happening right now that you can't quite predict the future. So, really, you just need to hang on to the trends that are current. Is that accurate, or do you? Is am I maybe missing something there?
1: I guess I, I didn't really finish what I could have finished it with, but um, in looking towards the future the industry has to look towards truly where the future is going. So for us, it's cell phones and mobile devices. Mm -hmm. For our product, it's entirely controlled by either Android or iOS. There is no computer option, nor are we actually intending on ever making a computer option. And it's kind of crazy to think of computers and laptops being outdated, but in what we're doing, it is. There's no need to control our system from a computer. So we're looking at what People will have on them make it more convenient in its cell phones. And those have features that are greatly helping our product, like microphones and live connections, no matter where you are, to people all around. You can record yourself. There's all sorts of options. And so, by looking towards that, we're kind of reinvigorating a traditional industry. You know, you get a guitar, it's just strings on a piece of wood. People will kill me for saying it's that simple, but I mean, <laughs> I'm mean,
0: looking at that. Luthiers, turn away.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, But we're respecting the tradition while augmenting it with technology to bring it into the future. And that's kind of how I like to look at it. It's a mutually beneficial situation with our product.
0: Beautiful. Okay, well, I know we're coming up on time. Is there anything you'd like to add?
1: I guess I do want to say that anybody can do this, and it's not going to be easy, <laughs> but anybody can do it.
0: This being marketing a new product?
1: Yeah, and I truly think crowdfunding is the source of where the best new products can come from. I hope that the, continu- the industry continues to evolve, but uh, I do want people to know that they're not stuck in whatever career path they've chosen. And, you know, they can go from defense contractors sitting at a desk, honestly, being a paperwork engineer to bringing a guitar to meetings and flying out to California to attend the NAMM show, the biggest music industry show of the year. And it's kind of crazy to think that it's been just a few short years since I was sitting at a desk with no idea where my future was going to go.
0: Well, that's a great place to conclude, I think. All right. Well, the very last question is What is the best place for people to go to learn more about you and to potentially reach you?
1: I would probably say fretzealot.com. And uh, feel free to contact us through the page there. Everything will get to me if it's directed at me. I'm Sean. So just say, need to get a hold of Sean, heard him on a podcast somewhere, and I'll, I'll definitely respond. And. Yeah, it's a pretty cool page to check out and we've got a lot there that you can kind of see how we went about things, see our story, nice. look up our campaign on Kickstarter and the history is there. Right up to the numbers you see exactly what we made with those campaigns and exactly what we did. (laughs)
0: <laughs> unique breadcrumbs to be able to go back and check out. Well, very cool. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show and everybody I'm sure is going to want to go back and check out and see the visuals for how this looks. I'll make sure to take a few pictures here and add them to the page, which will be in your show notes for spiralmarketing.com, which will include all of the links to the references that you've mentioned, including your website, of course. So great having you on. Thanks again, Sean.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure. Cheers.